Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's the Full 40 with Chris, Rob, and Willie back after the Michigan State loss. It is Sunday, November 20th at around 9.30 in the morning, and we are on the eve of Thanksgiving week, which means the turkey tournaments are arriving, and we have quite a bit to talk about despite only having one game to analyze. So we'll break down the Michigan State game. We'll talk a couple narratives. We got some early narratives going for the season already for this team. And then we'll talk about the very, what's becoming very important week ahead. So let's jump in right there. Villanova uh, loses to Michigan State 73 to 71 um, at the Breslin Center um, in Michigan yesterday. uh, Sorry, on Friday evening. And that game went in a couple different flows. First five, 10 minutes looked pretty good second quarter of that game looked pretty bad third quarter of that game also looked pretty bad and then the fourth quarter of the game was easily the best that we've looked all season long um so and we almost almost uh come away with a victory dixon's it wasn't a great play but it's because tom Izzo's tom Izzo's oh. coach and blew it up but it wasn't a great play but Dixon shot rattled out um, at the pretty much at the buzzer there. If that goes down, we we're, we're having a different conversation right now. But nevertheless, it did not. We are left with a moral victory at most. A um, little bit of Ken Palm juice uh, because we we improved our Ken Palm on the on the on the strength of a two point loss. Uh, but neither here nor there. We have some funny takeaways, right? Because it wasn't the worst outing that we've seen, and it kind of left us a little bit optimistic maybe coming out of it but still we're 500 yeah it's uh optimistic is is tough i i have to admit uh nicole and i were watching this game and if anybody's watching the video i'm sitting in a stairwell in the philadelphia weston hotel and those are the lengths we go to to bring you guys the content you deserve um nicole and i were watching this game and after the first half her head was in the pillow she was just like i'm done with this like i can't watch it and it was admittedly frustrating so to see the guys fight back was was great. And to see that they had some of that tenacity and just not give up on it was awesome. I do wonder a little bit how much of it is, is Michigan State taking their foot off the gas. But that's neither here nor there. They did show the fight. I'm not a big moral victory guy, but I'll take the fact that, that we kept it close on their home court, on a Michigan State team that's proven to be pretty competitive. And I will say, like, anybody who knows how I was watching the game knows I was definitely pretty pissed at some points. But um, but with a, a day of, of hindsight and reflection, like, all right, there's, there's some stuff we can take away from this. But I think, Chris, to your point, like, this week is so critical. Like, we're going to learn so much about this team. And I think after this coming weekend, after the Turkey tournament, you're going to have a, a pretty good feel for, for what this Villanova team could be again, obviously without we're assuming without Cam Whitmore and without Justin Moore, but but we'll have to see. Yeah, Rob, something you said is uh learning a little about this a bit about this team. And I feel as if this Michigan State game probably the most I've seen of this team the entire year. Um obviously the first quarter of the game went well, middle two quarters were a mess, 
but seeing the fight, seeing the fact that even if Michigan State did take their foot off the gas, which I'm not really sure that they did, but we came and we took that game back to them. We showed fight that, frankly, I didn't. I was unsure if we had. I believed it because we're Villanova and this is how we play, but that team hadn't really shown it at any point. The Temple game was a little bit different because Dixon was out, and it was just kind of as simple as putting Dixon back in the game that changed it, but this was we adjusted, we penetrated, we started playing a, what looks like Villanova basketball again. Uh, we were able to get to the rim. We were shooting threes a little bit better. Um, I felt I felt like that was the best and uh, realistically like eight minutes of Villanova basketball that I, we've seen all year. So I wouldn't call it a moral victory, but it's definitely letting me know that this team, I feel better about this game than I did about Delaware State. Yep. I feel better about this team right now than I did on Monday after Delaware State. So positive direction despite a negative result. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Well Let's just like I think we have we have to chop it up into two different conversations because because we lost this week is now vital, right? Like so we have to have the conversation around like just realistically what the what the work this team needs to do still shorthanded, which I think is also a conversation that we need to have, um, but still shorthanded. Uh, we have to figure out, okay, what, what, what does this team need to accomplish to, to keep itself safe, so to speak, and, and, mm. and tread water enough till, till we get fully healthy. But, but the conversation around like, okay, like directionally, like, is this something that we can take away? I, I think, I think yes. Um, but let's talk about a few things that went wrong first. So number one thing in my view that went wrong in this game was over stick-to-itiveness to the game plan, I guess is what I'll say. And specifically, I mean, uh, around three point defense, oh um, Terrible. It, it was obvious, obvious, oh, wow. obvious that the scout on Michigan state that our guys put together, um, whatever assistant put it together, like was to, was to sag off their shooters and let them beat you from the three-point line which they did they, they did <laughs> so, they shot 50 52 percent yeah that's pretty good so so we got we got throttled on three-point defense but i also think like there was an element of stick to to the scout but there was two other things that was that that was a that was an issue for me um one it's one thing to sag mm-hmm. and to mm-hmm. and to and to have guys you know get look yes. so to speak yes. but our closeouts were so slow painfully slow there was second guessing we were we were not closing down on shooters not flying out not 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 getting hands in the air early enough like we weren't doing anything to bother any of their shots um so yeah, it, it wasn't wasn't even sagging it was just like yeah i'm gonna i'm just gonna give you the shot and like lazily half-heartedly contested it was very very strange like you can do the sag and still apply some pressure, but we just, I don't know. It was like, they overemphasized that message too much and it absolutely burned us. And then like it happened the entire game too. That's what drove me crazy about it was that it started happening. You think they'd be like, okay guys, like we, we talked about the sag thing, like step it up a, a little bit, apply a little bit of pressure. And just like, no, 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 no. Just going to keep rolling with it. And they, they hit it all game. nonstop. The, the, the second bit that was that was frustrating to me a little bit was Michigan State was moving on a lot of screens. I'm not blaming the referees; like their their action was really good. It was kind of hard to pick up. They were moving on a ton of screens in my in my view. 
I, there was two things that I think needed to happen there. I, a, I think Kyle Neptune needed to be a little bit more in the refs here. Young coach trying to figure out exactly what his limits are. I get that. Um, he definitely was more animated with the referees this game than that I've noticed than he was in previous games. But I, I feel like he wasn't just like, that's one of those things where you tap the ref on the shoulder and say, Hey guys, like they're, they're moving on a lot of screens here. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta do that. The second bit is, is that I feel like our guys need to be more aggressive through that and blow up those screens a little bit. And if you get an offensive foul, at least you make the, or a defensive foul on that type of play, at least you make the other team think a little bit twice before they're like in your way so much. So I feel like we needed to, I feel like we needed to use our physical, our ability to physically dominate a game to make them pay a little bit more for that. And I don't think we did that in this game. I mean, Jordan Longino, I don't know if you know, is a a former football player. So perhaps, (laughs) perhaps he should have just been out there. So good. So good. But uh, I think your point is totally that like our our team, our guys are jacked, like have somebody run through the screen with a little bit of force and you'll teach them a lesson. I like it. So something I want to call out though is with the game plan, I don't, I didn't hate the game plan. I liked the sagging off shooters. And yeah, we thought like maybe we should have closed out on Hauser a bit better. I don't know what our scout was there. Hauser is the one in particular that was bad. We were closing out pretty, pretty shittily on Hauser. I think what I, but what I wanted to call out was the person who killed us was AJ Hogard, who shot three of six from three. Let the record show in AJ Hogard's college career, which up to this point has been, I think, what is it, what are we looking at, like 60 something games? He had made 10 three pointers his his entire college career. He's never been a three point shooter and he went three of six versus us. He shot for his career, he's shooting 21% from three. Yep. The person who beat us was the person who wasn't supposed to. Yep. And I get giving him the ability to shoot that because at no point in his college career has he ever shown the ability to do that. And he did. Kudos. Hats off to him. He made the shots. I don't hate going down by that because if Ajo Hogard shoots 21%, goes one of six, we're talking about a win today. So all in all, I don't, there's definitely adjustments to be made, but I think we came in with the right game plan. It's, execution yeah i i think that's kind of the comment too i think it's i think the execution point is 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 the key point for 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 me is that the closing out was just i i remember one slater was in the corner and and like he like thought he clearly thought twice like am i going to go out am i not going to go out and then and then i think it was hogard actually who buried the three from that corner in that play I, i might be wrong but it was that was that was that that's just that's just one of those things where like yeah go clo- guys got the ball like close out on the ball a little bit yeah. right so uh, uh, to your point like any type of any type of additional pressure put on their three point shooting like changes that game so yeah so that was that was one that was that was that was tough to handle our, our three point shooting woes are a little bit of an early season narrative um if you will because it's just we've now had two or three straight games like well temple game we shot the ball seven times which was ridiculous but then the Delaware State game we were oh for the first half and the and the uh in the Michigan State game we were pretty bad throughout got a little bit better at the end there this is something that I feel like will self-correct. We're like 84, 85% from the free throw line. So like usually like free throw percentage for a team and, and two point percentage for a team is a pretty good indicator if a team's a good shooting team or not. 
And so you'd expect like, we're not going to be like a bad, bad shooting team. We're not going to be as good as years past, at least not till more and Whitmore come back. But this is a, this is, this is, it, we are unnaturally bad from, from three right now. So again, that's another factor. Some of that was shot quality. I felt like we were trying to chuck them a little bit this past game, but, but broadly speaking, like it, I just expect more to go down. I mean, I think the chunk of it comes down to Caleb, and it's not anything that Caleb's doing wrong, but the way Caleb's favorite shot is he comes off an Eric Dixon screen. If if someone goes under, he pulls immediately and hits it. What's happened? I don't know why. I don't know why it took people this long to self-correct in the first place. They should have been doing it in the tournament run, but they're hedging hard on his screens. They're They're not going under on Dixon. They're both hedging hard pushing up and now Caleb's not able to get into his one, two and pull up. So he's dribbling, he's over dribbling, he's forcing, he's trying to get a foul and he's not hitting threes. Caleb's shooting 40% from three on the season, which looks great, but six of his makes were from the Delaware state game. He is two of his last 13. I think that's the narrative that I look at is how do we self-correct Caleb? And I think it's in part because Caleb's on ball, Demands yeah. are higher. They're okay. heading harder, so he's not able to do that. And we need, whether it's Chris Arch, we need Slater, we need whomever to just get Caleb off the ball three-point attempts where he's not taking it, where he's not the one, like, he's not um, creating himself. Get him off the ball, get him open three-point attempts. And I think we're going to start seeing them kind of get in. But he's my big one where I look at him like, that's the anomaly to me. And we know he's a great shooter. He's going to self-correct. It's just... What kind of shots are we getting him and can we get him the right shots and can he, or can we figure out a counter to them hedging hard, which will probably be something of Dixon taking more threes and popping out a little bit more uh, or diving and then figuring out from there. Yeah. I mean, this goes, we talked about this last podcast too. Like this part of this goes back to the fact that everybody can key on Caleb right now as our primary offensive threat. And whereas in years past, he was the three, the fourth option, like, he was just there and was the beneficiary of the rest of the offense. I will say, though, while, yes, I, I think it's it's obviously going to improve, and ideally, if Moore comes back healthy, he's a good three-point shooter. The ceiling for this team on three-point shooting is not nearly as high as it has been in years past. Like, our the history of shooters that we have playing right now is not nearly as strong. Like, we don't have a Colin Gillespie. We don't, you know, Jermaine was up and down, but Jermaine had, like, years where he shot 38% for three. So, like, I don't think we're we're gonna shoot as high of a percentage as we do historically. That's it. We are shooting just absolutely abysmally right now. You know, we shot twenty eight percent in our last game. Granted, if you take Caleb out of that, we shot like thirty three percent. But that's not how basketball games work. So uh, you can't just <laughs> add and subtract players and, and make the stats work. Um, but regardless, I think it's a, it's a caveat for this team. Like, don't expect as a fan base, don't expect us to be raining threes down like we have historically. It's just not that. The lineup's just yeah. not constructed like that. A big but I think we, we need to talk about Dixon, though. We'll, we'll, I know we'll get to that because he is. <laughs> One thing I wanted to call out is a big thing that I think we'll we'll see is how quickly does Hawson come along defensively because yeah. it's very clear. And I'm okay with if Hawson's getting in 10 minutes, he's taking five three-pointers. Uh, I'm okay yeah. with that idea because it stretches the floor. He's we were he's already a knockdown. Um, he hit a big three in the, in the Michigan State game, you know. Um I, if he can figure it out defensively, I like it. Brizzy profiled as a great shooter. Hasn't like 
shot frankly hasn't really shot too many three-pointers yet it's been like maybe five he shot this season yeah. i'm interested to see what happens there armstrong's been decent but we'll see how that looks like i mean everything like you all know everything changes once yeah. justin comes back that's what we're <laughs> maybe maybe yeah. we'll see i, I just, quick, quick note on housing his release is so fast yeah he's he's really good like he is just teed up and he knows his job is to shoot three-pointers like he only played five minutes get Michigan State, but he's clearly out there. Like he runs down the court, gets in the corner, and is basically like, I am ready to shoot the ball. And as soon as it hits his hands, it's going up, which I love. Cause like, yeah, you know what you're supposed to do and you're ready to execute on it. And that's what we need. We need people who are like, this is my job. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do it. And I'm, I'm totally down for it. I want more housing. I was big on housing last time too. I want more housing. Five minutes, not enough. My notes, Kyle. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so, so look. Uh, I, I want to touch on the Caleb conversation a little bit because I don't know if there's a player who is more impacted by the current injury situation um, than more than Caleb um, because, because Caleb is like one thing we've learned, Caleb's not an on-ball guy. Like, and we kind of knew that coming into the season, he can be an on-ball guy. If he's going to be the guy who's posting yeah. up, he can be, if you're, if he's the post up guy, um, but he's not an on ball, like, and he's, and he's pressing. I think the issue with his shot is that he's pressing. I think he's like trying to do a little bit too much because he kind of has to, he has like, to absolutely in the past. The game could kind of come to him and then he just had to be ready to do his job when it was time. Totally. Um, and now he's, he takes on an advanced role. He did that successfully in an advanced role when he was a younger guy at Tulane, but in this system, it's a little bit of a different system. So, so we need to see. I, we like I the, the the conversation around this team is with a with like a decent point guard. Like I think I said to you, Rob, the other day, with Tony Chenault as point guard, we're like a four and team right now. Yeah. <laughs> like like, and I'm not criticizing Tony Chenault. I'm more saying that just like a a capable like solid veteran point guard that can just like do a number of different things on a basketball court. Weird we're example, having... but weird example, but I, I see where you're going with it. I yeah, would, right. I would, I'm, I'm trying player. to. Not... I would pick a different player, but yes. Yeah. I, I get but like, point. I could say Colin Gillespie, but like, that's not fair. Yeah. Like, you can't just put, put, plug an All American into this. Into this. I agree with your premise. I don't like the example because Tony just did not shoot the ball. Period. Yeah. But anyway, continue. Yeah. So, so the point guard situation, I think actually the Michigan State game complicated it in my eyes. Um, like, Armstrong, like this let's is, talk a little. This is a narrative. This is yeah, an early season. This is definitely sure. this is the early season narrative, and there's other ones that kind of float around it. But the early season narrative around the point guard position got more complicated because, candidly, um, Chris Archie Diacono had a pretty damn good second half, um, and and there was moments where he didn't do well, but there's moments where everyone doesn't do well. But he was in that second half. He was aggressive defensively. Um, the foul call on him at the end there was fucking bullshit. Like that was, that was, that was a terrible call. That was Absolutely. a horrible call. Ridiculous. Um, but, but the, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Probably. Yeah. But That's the, awesome. but he was, he was aggressive defensively. Um, he was, he was a, he, he shot the ball. Like I, I, it sounds like simple sometimes, but, sometimes yeah, he hit a three. He, uh, I think he had five points in a, in a quick stretch there. Uh, but he also he also like created on offense like he was he was taking what the defense gave him a little bit more and actually making them pay for it, which made the whole offense run a lot better because the anatomy of that comeback 
right, was was that we started playing with a lot more aggression on offense. Both him and Slater in particular were way more aggressive um, in that final quarter of the game, which is, I think, what really turned the tide um, for us offensively. But the but the the other factor here is that we saw chunks of we saw we, Kyle continues to play uh, Brizzy and Armstrong to his credit, uh, but but we saw chunks of them where okay they, they were doing a little bit of couple things there where they weren't as strong. I thought Brizzy got lost in the defense. I think I saw Caleb shove him into position at one point in time. And then, and then Armstrong, uh, candidly, I saw something, I saw a couple times uh, where he a little bit freelanced on offense a little bit and went outside of our, went outside of our, what we do, so to speak on, on the offensive side. Yeah. I I don't know. For me, I agree. Arch looked better in moments in the second half and and showed more of what you want to see. I still think for a guy who played 30 minutes, the production and the contribution is lower than what yeah. I would want to see relative to what I think an Armstrong and a Brizzy can bring to the table. Like, yes, there were arch. Definitely. He did shoot the ball more. Like he had three shots. And then I think a couple others, we got a, a couple fouls as well too. But like, there were also times where he just passed the boom looks. There was one time I, I stood up and I just like screamed at the TV because he actually flew by a guy beat his man, which like never happens and has a clean look at the hoop. And there's just decides to dribble under the hoop and pass out. And I was like, what are you doing, man? Like, he's still not, he's still not totally there. So like some elements of some elements of it click and then some elements of it still don't click. So for me, while yes, there were some positives from that, I still would rather see more of the development I'll take some of the downside. I'll take some of that freelancing, if you will, with like an Armstrong and a Brizzy, because like what that means is, you know, for Armstrong in particular, I, I, I love Armstrong. I love the ball in his hands. He's so smooth. He, he carries the ball like a point guard in my mind. He like the dribble, the control, yeah. just the movement is so it's, it is what I think of when I think about like a really silky smooth point guard. So like, yeah, if he makes a mistake, cause like, he beat somebody and created, and then he took a, an air and shot. I'm like, all right, well, you're you're doing that creation, which our offense is lacking. Like we talked about, he can do that. He can create the separation. He can draw people in, and then he can kick it out. So he needs to maybe needs to make a, a better decision so he doesn't take a bad shot. But he's bringing something different to the table that nobody else on this team is bringing to the table. Because as you're you just the point you just made about Caleb, like we want the ball out of Caleb's hands. So Mark can create, so somebody can create and then can find Caleb. And Mark Armstrong brings that skill set to the table in a way that nobody else on this team does. Full stop. I'm 100% team Mark. I'm 100% team Brizzy should be starting. I think what we're dealing with is the reality that it's going to be Chris Arch starting until Mark or Brizzy take it from him. And to Chris's point earlier, this was Arch's first game kind of saying like oh no I can do this the big number for me is not the scoring it was the fact that he had four assists if Chris Arch for the rest of the year averages six points and gets four assists a game I I will live with that I will live with that being in the starting lineup him being able to drive and he blew by Tyson Walker like two or three times which 
I don't I don't know what the hell that was. Tyson um, Walker doesn't know how that happened. Yeah, <laughs> it was one point that Arch like crossed over, uh, pulled it back. He may have been able to sit him down, like he blew a people, <laughs> like could have crossed him over. But oh, I hundred percent agree with the finishing at the rim. But he was he six like if you just look at it in a vacuum, six points, four assists. If that's what Chris Arch gives us for the rest of the year. I understand the 20 to 25, 30 minutes. He needs to be what he was in the second half to, to justify that. Otherwise, we are doing a disservice to both Brizzy, Armstrong. Yeah. If if he's not doing that. Yeah. Look, my 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 take is I'm I'm kind of on team. I'm kind of on team Arch needs to look 30 minutes is still too much for me because of everything that you guys have said. And I agree, Rob, on the on the Armstrong needs to needs like like credit for the creation um so so i i agree wholeheartedly on that on that point but like yeah that's just something that like he just needs to get he needs to do something like that get sat down and say good job on the creation you had open shooters around you like keep your head up don't just don't just play hero ball right like and like there's nothing like, and I'm not saying hero ball in the sense of like, I'm criticizing him, calling him a selfish player or anything like that. He just got into a situation where he, he kind of got lost in the, he got lost in the, in that play that I'm particularly referencing where he took like a, he took like a fadeaway jumper from the elbow, which is like a low percentage, low effective field goal percentage shot. So it's just not what the analytics tell you to do. But that being said, um, but that being said, look, we need someone to create. And I think that's the comment that we're making for Arch in the second half is that he started to do some creation. Right? Like, yeah. so he blows by a guy, gets to the rim, creates havoc on the defensive end. Like you, we need that because to the point on Caleb that we started this conversation with, like Caleb is not going to be a, a 40% three point shooter. Like he can be unless he is off the ball and, and someone is playing competently at the point guard position around him. So where I kind of come to in all of this is that until more is back and whatever that may be, like, I think it's, I think it's gotta be like almost like a 20, 20, 20 type of situation where like all these guys get like 20 minutes or so on the floor. I mean, if, if it was 20, 20, 20, I think I'd be, I'd be less animated than I am now. Cause like 20 minutes is like, that's great playing time for Mark. That's great playing time for Brizzy. Like they can develop that, you know, what they're playing right now, 10, you know, they got 13 and 12 this past game. It's not enough. It's, it's not enough to develop that rapport to really get comfortable in that offense and to make some of those mistakes. So if we get to 2020, I think that that's great. Like that, that would be awesome. Yeah. I'm all for it. So I think the next thing we're thinking about is, okay, so Michigan State happened and we're two and two, but now we're looking at the PK 85. And I, I, as I look about this, I, I think about our non-conference as a whole. Like I, I'm not going to get into the individual games and then we'll touch that, but I want to talk about our non-conference as a whole. If we don't, basically the way, the way I'll think about it, I think about it is, if we go two and one in the PK 85 in any situation, if we lose the first one, we win the next two um, realistically beating Iowa State's the most straightforward. If we're going to look at ourselves as a top five seed, we need to go two and one in the PK 85. It won't happen without that. Yeah. If we go one and two. <laughs> we're, okay. we having, we're having a, we have a, Oh fuck. We have to yeah. have a really good fucking December conversation. And, and we're yeah, and we're and in that really good December. We're also thinking of like, 
if the only quality wins we have on our resume are, let's say it's Iowa State, let's say it's Oklahoma, like can we Boston College isn't a quality no, win, frankly. Not like, a quality lose, win. Yeah, it's not a quality win. Like we're t- we're looking at the like maybe we're a nine seed with a good uh, Big East run, but like the Big East, the Big East is re- probably the deepest it's gonna be. It's been since like 2017 uh, when Xavier was a one seed. Um, so that's my overall thing as we go into the PG 85. It's we we have to go two and one. Um, otherwise, we're looking at a low seed. Yeah. And, and the big East, right? Like, I don't think we're ready to fully do a look around the conference, but just in like short form here, the big East is underperforming on the, in the out of conference right now. So the opportunities for like high quality quad one wins are going to go pretty, are going to be in the toilet. Like we're not going to have like Yukon, maybe Xavier, maybe Creighton, maybe Creighton probably will be, will be quad one games at home. Other than that, there won't be a single quad one game on the schedule. So, so, so that is, that is troubling, right? Like away, away, because the quad one goes up to like 75 away or something like that, like away that becomes a different conversation and we'll have a handful of those um, throughout the year. But then there's like these quad two, there's going to be these quad two games like at Marquette, right? Who is going to be like a quad two opponent away or maybe a borderline quad to opponent away who is like good. Like, <laughs> so it's yeah. like, so it's like games that you can lose, but also don't like, they barely help your resume. Yeah. So it is. So it, it, I, I agree wholeheartedly with the nine seed comment because you could find yourself in that situation because, because we just kind of run out of opportunities and Oklahoma isn't going to be this amazing out, out of conference win. So like we have to find a way to to mix it up here in the in the PK eighty five, um, and that's kind of the that's kind of the unfortunate result of of losing to Michigan State is that is that okay you had an opportunity you came close you feel better about the team but then like okay realistically put pen to paper you, you yeah. are you are back up against the wall we're two and two we had, we're playing. Um, on the other side of the country on Thanksgiving versus an Iowa state team that has a lot of transfers in and a lot of turnover in their team, but a team that, but a team that has some of the still of the parts that made a sweet 16 last year um, and is a tough minded, uh, you know, slug fest oriented big 12 team that can make an ugly game. They can make it very ugly and could come down to the final few possessions. And then, and then, you win that game, you expect to play in North Carolina, which is really like the biggest opportunity that we're going to have, um, at least on paper, uh, before before the, the final game of that, which could look like a, which will be one of Michigan State, UConn, Oregon, and Alabama. So it's like, I feel like Iowa State is, is I don't want to say it's a must win. But it's as it's as close to a must win as you're going to have like four games and five games into a, a a basketball season. Yeah, because otherwise, what you do is if you lose to Iowa State, then you play Portland, and that's like that's a shit game, right? It's a shit then, game, by the way, on their like basically home floor. So yeah. it's and also a Portland team that's like gonna be kind of contending in the WCs, not contending, but like contending, meaning they'll be they'll be good. They'll be able to maybe beat St. Mary's. Won't touch Gonzaga. 
Yeah. And then you pick up whoever lost games in in the bottom half of the bracket. Just like, okay, fine. Right. Yeah. And then and then you get into a situation where we could be playing UConn or Michigan State, and like, yeah, like that's not that's not great. Like the fact that we might that we have a situation where we could be playing UConn four games in this year is not particularly helpful to either team's resume. Yeah. And and Michigan State, it's not particularly helpful to play them again because I, I guess if you win on a neutral court, then all of a sudden you feel like a little bit good and it validates the it validates the comeback, so to speak, at the end of that game. But but you could also lose and kind of revalidate that that loss again. So it's a it's a situation where like that's kind of no win in that in that circumstance. So you're left with like hopefully getting Oregon or Alabama. Um honestly the, the bottom half of the bracket regardless of whether we win our first game or not is, is weird anyway. Like we're, we're trying to, we're basically trying to avoid half of the teams yeah. in the bottom half of the bracket. Like we don't want to play UConn because of the reasons you just articulated We don't really want to play Michigan state either. Cause like, all right, we just paid, played them. Like there's not a ton of upside here and there's a ton of downside. So like, I don't know, either way, we're, we're, we're kind of hoping things break our way in the bottom half, which is just, yeah. it's weird. I've never, I don't know. I've never really felt that way about a, a turkey tournament you know obviously you're like oh these are the teams we want to play like i think back a couple of years ago um like some of the top teams whatever tournament was just picked up a loss i think it was like purdue and tennessee or something like that it was and it would be a really weird bracket but like this one just seems particularly odd in that you know, we could play a number of these teams so many times just like what? also from like a basketball standpoint i don't want to play uconn right now like mm. like i just don't like the way we match up with them with with our guys hurt we're not ready we're not ready to. Play. We're not ready to face UConn right now. Be like very real. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, well, I mean, this we can get into our other narrative. It's a chance for Slim Dix to show that he is a better Big East Player of the Year than. Um, oh gosh, I, my brain just Adama Sinogo. Adama. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The problem is they have Adama Sinogo, and now they have Donovan Klingon, who's like seven two, giant, and people don't know how to fucking even guard him right now. He's absurd. Yeah. So, so, so UConn found a bigger guy than Adama Sanogo somehow. <laughs> um, and that team is super athletic. They can get up and down the court and it's just, can, that's a game that can get away from us early and like be a confidence ruiner for us yeah. going into Big East. But I just, I want, I'm, I'm sure there will be a random UConn fan who listens to this and clips this part, but yeah, I don't care. I don't, I, I don't want a singular part of UConn. Uh, until December 27th or 8th or whatever yeah. our game against them is. And I don't want them really then either, but um, I could deal with that. <laughs> so, so, so here's what we're left with. Like Iowa state game is a game versus Ken Palm. 53 is where Ken Palm has them right now. They're two and oh, they haven't really had much to test them yet. They're okay. Like the, this is a game where Ken Palm has us as three point favorites. Um, it's, it's it's a doable game for sure. Like we should beat them. They've had enough turnover in their team where they're also still trying to figure things out with who they are um, as, as a squad. They We expect them to play slow. We expect them to be not particularly strong on offense, especially because they've lost Isaac Brockington from last year's team. Um, and they have so many newcomers and they're, they kind of prefer that rock fight style anyway. Uh, there's a team that kind of squeaked into last year's NCAA tournament and kind of went on a pretty unexpected 
uh, Sweet 16 run. So it, this is a this is a this is a team that we candidly, even with our team right now that's currently constructed on the roster, like it it should play well into our hands. Like we should be able to. We're going to be comfortable with the pace they want to play, and they are, and it's something that we are. Um, and it's something that we kind of have to win. Like our backs are up against the wall. And I expect these guys to come out with the fire that they showed in the last 10 minutes that they played against Michigan State. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Iowa State's an interesting matchup for us. Um, I Like you said, I don't – nothing worries me on paper. There's not a player I'm like, okay, this is going to be a person we need to worry about. I mean, I think we have the best player on the floor in Eric Dixon. I think their size at guard is good. I don't really, I'm not really too worried from a like speed strength perspective. I think we'll match up fine. It's, it's just going to be a rock fight. They're, they're deep. Um, they're experienced, which is going to be huge kind of, um, I mean, th- their experience is going to help them when it comes down to like, if this is a close game and we're in the fifth, uh, we're in the final five minutes, they have a bunch of seniors. The only difference is, they have a bunch of seniors who have all done it at individual places. And it's how does this kind of work together? How does TJ Otzelberger pull them, pull them all? Um, from our standpoint, I think if we're able to get out of, if we can, I'm going to call it escape Iowa State with a win. I feel like it's going to be close. Yeah. Um, I feel pretty good where I think that's going to be a huge momentum builder for us. And I'll say it, don't be surprised if we take it to UNC. If we beat Iowa State, I think that will be the thing where the role fixed our flown for us because we're going to be Iowa State's first test and UNC also will not have been tested yet. And UNC has been struggling. So we'll see, frankly, we'll just see if we get to this, if we get to UNC, how Caleb Love does. Because if Caleb Love is on, there's no shot. That's just the way, that's just the way the game works. He's, when he's hot, he's the best player in the country. And when he's not, he's not. But until then, we got to focus on Iowa State. They're deep. They're smart. They're going to be well coached. Um, and they defend the hell out of the ball. I think they're 10th in defense. Um, and Pom might even have them a little bit higher. Um, so, yeah, we're, I think yeah. we're, we're, we're good. This, is, this, this week is going to be like every game is going to change the complexion of the outlook of the season. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like okay, you beat Iowa State. Okay, all of a sudden you feel a lot more comfortable than, than, you, did, than you did before the game. Right. Then then you get North Carolina. We're expecting to get North Carolina. I think we will. Um, but you get North Carolina. And yeah, I agree. This is a team that's like and the question mark around North Carolina is simply put, like, is this the team that beat Duke at Cameron Indoor in Coach K's final game at Cameron Indoor and beat Duke in the final four game and had Kansas on the ropes in the national championship game? Or is this the team that almost missed the NCAA tournament and kind of sucked it up versus Syracuse late night? late in that year and look kind of fucking lost for, for most of that season last year, which team is the real team? Probably right now it's a little bit in the middle. Um, but, but is, can, can we, do we have the opportunity to get like some type of, some type of game where we turn that into a rock fight and, and, and make that a little bit of a hectic matchup where we have a chance to be with, you know, hanging with them in the final few possessions of the game. Their Kempom ranking, by the way, is not particularly great. So like Kempom's only going to have that on a neutral court. Kempom's going to have that at probably like a three, four point game to their favor. So, so it's not going to be this, um, it's not going to be this massive um, hole that we have to dig out of, so to speak. 
you guys are giving all, all, us a lot of credit here. I, so I'm, I'm with you. I think we're going to, I think we'll pull out the Iowa state game. And assuming that happens, like we run into UNC, I, I get what you're saying, Bilotti, but man, like let's give UNC a, a little bit more credit here. Like they're basically returning their whole team. And yeah, we, we've seen, we've seen the value firsthand of bringing a whole team back. Like we know the value of continuity and we know the struggles that we're experiencing right now when you don't have that continuity and that in and of itself gives them a huge building block and a huge step up. They just know how one another are going to play. They know how to react. They're so familiar with the system. Like this is a pretty old team for the most part. Like, yes, I know Roy Williams was there for a few years and then Davis took over, but like these guys know how to play together. So I'd love to be optimistic and say like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to take it to UNC. I just don't think that's, I just don't think that's Uh, realistic. I think, I think we're going to get, I think we're going to get beat. We'll get, we'll get beat pretty handily. Yeah. I I, look, I think that Willie's shaking his head. He's like, nah, nah, nah. He's got the optimism today. He's got that Sunday. He's got that world cup kickoff optimism. I don't even know if it's optimism about, us per se, I think UNC's a little overrated. Okay, okay. Oh, and I only, and I think it's as, as of right, like they're number one in the country. They're not, they're not, they're not the best team in the country. They've struggled to put away every single team they've played. There's a weird kind of fit between Baycott and Nance and Leaky Black's like shooting better, but how real is it? I like, as I watch them, I'm like, they're, they are figuring it out. Now, obviously, they have the Final Four run. They have all this continuity. I love that. Like, I think when they're clicking and Caleb loves clicking, I don't, I can't see it. Like, they're, they're fucking phenomenal. I just think that if it happens, if we get them, I think it's going to be a closer game than we imagine. Um, also, UNC plays today. They face James Madison, who's one of my sneaky, like, mid-major picks. Like, don't be shocked if you look up and UNC's like in a five-point game with James Madison because they've been in a five-point game with every single one of these teams. UN, I think they played, I think with uh they played UNC Wilmington earlier this year, and the head coach of UNC Wilmington basically said they and also who also played UConn and was like, UConn's the best team you've seen all year. Hmm. Yeah. So right. this is the this is a team that look forget everything else. This is a team that last year, like when you get into the question of who they are, right? Like when the bright, when the shine, when the lights shine brightest, they were, they were, they were really good. Like, like point blank. There's no taking that away from them at all. They had points in that season last year where they didn't even look like a tournament team, like, and candidly kind of snuck in on name to some degree. And, and they did that because they weren't focused. They were playing like disjointed basketball. They looked like they didn't give a fuck. Uh, candidly at a lot of points in time. And so where I think we could potentially make this a game if we get them and, and are there, like by I mean, way, it's, it's a big if. Yeah. It's a big if, right? Like you all be for naught, we could be playing Portland, right? So like, but but where I think we can make this a game is kind of on culture. Um, is that our guys are going to play that 40 minutes a game, etc. And they're gonna get up on a big lead, take time off, whatever. They're not this is this th- that's where I think this game could go. This is these are, these are some hot takes, guys. This is the look, number one. No, team. no, look. Do I expect to lose the game wow. versus North Carolina? Yes, I expect to lose the game versus North Carolina. Let me just be a hundred percent clear on that fact. I expect to win versus Iowa State. I expect to lose to North Carolina, and I expect to get like Alabama in the in the final game, and we'll have a JQ a JQ bowl a JQ bowl. But like, but that's kind of 
I, but I do think that there is a world in which they're kind of like just flat or don't give a fuck. Like this is not, a, this is, this team is, Rob, if they don't make that tournament run or if they lose to Baylor in overtime in the, in the round of 32, which they didn't, but like, which, yeah, this, but this very is, well, this, this, this comparison to me is, is actually like UCLA the year prior. It's the same right? thing. Yeah. It's the same thing. And then UCLA came back the next year and put together quite a nice year. So like this to me of like, oh, well, they didn't, you know, we don't know who they are. I'm like, no, we, we, we know who they are. Like they put it together in March and like, we're, we're putting a little bit of a double standard here because we love to talk about Villanova's development through the year and how you measure Villanova's success in February and March. And that's the same thing with this North Carolina did. Yes. They had a slow start, but guess what? They put it together when it mattered and they're bringing back the same team that put it together when it mattered. So, so I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt until I see otherwise. So I, I guess what, what I'm thinking about is once again, I fully think we could lose. I'm, I have no, there's no part of me that's like, this is a guarantee win. What I'm thinking, what I'm saying though, is they put it together when it matters. Does this point matter to them? Hmm. Is that is, are they going yeah, to be locked in on Thanksgiving day? versus Portland yeah, like for yeah. in, the, in the first place or like how are they how locked in are they going to be if they're locked in we're not touching them. there's yeah. no shot if they're yeah. locked in are they going to be locked in I'd imagine just because of the name on the front of the jersey for Villanova they would be locked in but we don't know that and so yeah. all I'm putting out there is first off we have the biggest if in the world because we could very easily lose to Iowa State and then we're going to look stupid as hell but assuming we beat Iowa State, I think that's a game that I don't look at. I'm like, that's an auto loss. I'm like, if yeah. we, it's it's potentially there. Yeah. All right. Well, this is this is not a North Carolina podcast. We spent a lot of time on North Carolina. All right. So <laughs> what's our what's our prediction here? We're we're all saying Iowa State is a win, and we're assuming we get North Carolina. I'm saying loss to North Carolina. I'm taking a loss because it's a safe move. But I I do agree with Willie that I see a world in which we find a way to win that game. All right, but well, I'm taking really a loss. Tax. You taking a win or a loss? Fellas, we're going to be hosting the PK85 championship. We're going right. to be, we're gonna be throwing it up there. We're going to be dancing. And we're going to feel completely different. I don't know what uh, I don't know what's in my system right now, but we're going to do it. I, I, I know from before the conversation before that <laughs> whatever is in your system was less than it was when you woke up. Most of the stuff that's in my system has left the building. Uh-huh. Amazing. <laughs> all right. All right. So I like that, it. I like the I like the optimism because I like it's gotta be optimistic. Yeah. yeah. But, all right. So so then so then third game. We're gonna lose by so. <laughs> Look, that's absolutely possible. We can get run by North Carolina. Like, but like, yeah. That's no, why I'm coming out. We, we knock off UNC and then we play like we play Michigan State again. They just like they trounce us. Yeah. The fuck. Like, yeah, honestly, I'd take that. Yeah. I, the championship right. game, two and one. Yeah, UNC, I'd, I'd yeah. take that. I'd take that for sure. The, the, the team that, candidly, the team that I do not want to see in this tournament is UConn. Like, I think I've laid that out already. Like, I have, I want no part of them. Um, they They haven't been tested yet either but they have fucking demolished everything in their path. And it, they've been on a war path earlier, earlier gonna, this year. They're going to play Delaware State either today or tomorrow, and they're going to win by like 70. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, They're going to demolish them. So so this is a I, – I like what I'm seeing from this UConn team um, like a lot. They kind of – I like them. They, they have the shades of UConn of old. They have the shades of Jim Calhoun UConn. Um, now – I don't. I still think there's a lot of questions around their guard play. 
Um, but they're but they're but their forwards and their wings are so athletic and so good. And Adama Sonogo has has hit three pointers this season. So he is all of a sudden developed his game uh, 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 quite a bit as well. So they've got so, this kid, Alex Caravan, who I'm becoming a big fan of like long term NBA potential. This he's really good. Yeah. So they are they, I just I just like that team right now. Um and and also you want to talk about a team that's gonna look at the name on the front of the jersey and try and absolutely fucking run us over, that's UConn because that semifinal loss is still very fresh in a lot of their minds. So that is the team that I have no desire to see. Um all right, look, so so then what's what's the last how's the last game play out? What are we predicting? Yeah, I it's so far in the distance and I still don't know what the opponent's going to look like that. Like the only thing that I could say is that like Alabama or Oregon both create interesting matchups, but I, I, I'm not even willing to go that far and to predict that. I just think it's going to be a matter of like, that's just going to be, I, I, I don't have anything to add. All right. Well, I'm going to make a prediction because um, nobody cares anyway. Nobody's going to hold me to it. So I'm going to predict we end up playing Alabama after our UNC loss because I don't believe in a JQ led team. I don't think he's really the leader. Um, I don't believe on teams that he's in. So I think Alabama picks up the first win. I think they lose to UConn. We end up playing Alabama, and I'll say we, I'll say we lose to Alabama, and we go one and two in the PK eighty five. Okay, I'm sticking with it. Reno. Woo. Alabama, Alabama on on Ken Palm paper is the best team in 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 this whole bracket. They're ahead of they're 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 better Ken Palm than uh, North Carolina. Um, I'm going to say we face Alabama in the final though, so they win throughout everything. Um, I think this is going to be for anyone who isn't like aware. They're this kid Brandon Miller, who is one of the most talented scorers in college basketball. Um, he will be a top ten pick. I think this will be a big uh, coming out tournament for him or for, for people on the national scale to see him. Um, and then I think we, I think he does well versus us, but I think we'll pull it out. Um, I'm sticking with the three and zero rose colored glasses. Um, yeah. I like it. I like I'm, it. I'm sticking with it. I picked, uh, I picked us to lose temple. I also picked us to beat Michigan state, which uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going through now. I have no issue calling a loss when I see it. And if we, if we get past Iowa state, I do like the confidence on this team to pick up another win if we beat Iowa State. So how yeah. about that? How about that, Rob? I'll, I'll go with we're going to go two and one with a win against Iowa State. So and I have a loss against North Carolina and then a win in the final game. So okay. that's 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 where I'm all at. right. We've got a range of predictions here. I like it. Yeah. Even a yeah. Um, so can you guys hear my kid right now? Yeah, I heard I heard her. I heard her. Briefly in the background, yeah. but uh, yeah. but not too much. No, she's, <laughs> she's clearly not, expressing herself. Yeah, she's expressing herself. Very expressive kid. That's right. um, uh, but anyway, so so we have a couple other narratives because we we missed the Brandon Slater narrative, who probably had his best half that he's had all season at the second half of the game. I, I want to talk a little bit about Slater uh, because he has been early on. He's been X factory, which is what we kind of talked about with him, right? Like Dixon has been, has been every part of Big East first or second teamer. Um, and right now kind of top 10 in, in early national player of the year rankings, like which from is, a statistical which is, standpoint. 
which which you heard it here first, right? The guy who said first team all Big East. I'm I'm sticking to my guns here. I I, I mean he is playing the part of it, and I, like Tom Izzo, uh, I love that quote I posted on Twitter yesterday. Oh, he was, was, that was hot. He, he was very complimentary of our players in general. Um, he was very complimentary of our players in general. He said, they're all 6'4 to 6'9, and they all look like Adonis, right? Like, so he's complimentary of our players and John Shackleton. Um, but in addition to that, um, he specifically called out that he was like, yeah, Dixon. Uh, I don't know if God could guard him at times. So he... Yeah. Uh, so Dixon is a little Dixon. hyperbolic, but but the point stands. Yeah, yeah just just a touch, just yeah. a tiny touch hyperbolic. But you know, That's for fine. a podcast well, that whatever. does God's work, I think we can speak That's to that. That's true. We do do God's work. I, I keep forgetting that. Yeah. So so anyway, back to Slater, right? Because we talked Daniels, we've talked we've talked the point guard situation. Let's talk Slater. He was like. This guy, like, it's he's so Samuels esque, and I almost want to like talk about him in relation to Jermaine Samuels of last year because he can be like takeover level good, and he can be non fucking existent, and I just need him to be takeover level good all the time, especially until Whitmore and Justin back. But even when they come back, I want him to be takeover level good with them back because here's what we know about Brandon Slater. He is like 22 of 22 from the free throw line. So it's almost like no excuse for him to not get to the rack and draw and get fouls on him. Like he needs to be playing with that level of aggression to slash and get downhill and get to the rack. Right. Like I don't want him backing guys down and, and, and trying to score like that. I want him running full fucking speed at the hoop. And if he gets an offensive foul, Every so often, because of that, I live with that. Like, make the defense freak out because they have this, they have this super athletic lefty running full speed at the at the hoop, coming down, coming downhill at them. Two, like he has shown the ability to play, have awesome defensive um, prowess, both in terms of being able to guard every position one to five. And also his block, like the block versus UConn last year is one of my favorite highlights real reels ever uh, plays like, and he's also shown that he could be a pretty adept three point shooter. Um, He had, he had, I think it was last year. He was like a 40% three point shooter or something like that. So he 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 was, he was not, he was not. We had a year where he was a 40% three-point shooter. It might have been two years ago. It well, might have two, been two years ago, he played like 10 minutes a game. So, so sure, we can, so, we can, so we can he has a he has a good three-point shot, but he's not helping himself from the three-point line because he doesn't drop. So so when he plays aggressive, all of a sudden, the he whole shot, rest he of shot, the game. He shot 34% last year. 34%, but, sorry. He shot, he, 40, he shot 40% the year prior. When but was, on limited sample size. Yeah. Yeah. He's shown the ability to be a decent enough three-point shooter. And he, but he needs to show that ability to get to, to slash and get to the cup. Yeah. My, my issue with, while I think he has shown if you look at his statistics and his numbers, yes, you draw that, that conclusion that you just drew. The biggest issue I have with this, this narrative and expecting him to transform into this is that he hasn't actually shown a track record of being that aggressive, being that guy who's dynamically attacking hoop, being that guy who's just absolutely letting it fly every time 
he gets the ball in his hands. And I think like we were, we were debating this offline. Like this is where the, the Samuels comparison actually falls down for me with the exception of like that one stretch where Samuels like just straight up refused to shoot the ball, which was very strange. Uh, remember that? That was like yeah, literally yeah. like would not. We, shoot we the ball. were on this podcast being Samuel shoot the fucking ball. Shoot the fucking ball. It's so I, I remember listening, being like, "Yeah, he's just not shooting." It was so strange. It was so strange. But that stretch of games aside, Samuel's was a guy who readily attacked the hoop, came off the dribble, created his own shot, and was like, "Okay, I got the ball." open look at three. I'm going to take the three. Slater just seems to be so like lazy, fair, like, oh, like, yeah, I'll I'll casually dribble into the lane. Like, oh, I'll bat somebody down. Like, I guess I'll take this shot. There's no fire there. And at some point you start asking for something that just isn't there. It's not inherent in him as a player. And unfortunately, we're already in his fifth season and he's had ample opportunity. And you would say, oh, he didn't see the floor as first couple years. Totally agree. But like, clearly he wasn't showing that in practice either. So at some point, you're just asking for something that may not be there and just hoping and wishing on a dream. And I think that's a little bit, unfortunately, where my head's at, that I want him to get there but I don't expect him to because I haven't seen any evidence of that full takeover ability. Samuels showed that takeover ability as a sophomore, as a sophomore on a loaded team against Marquette. He single-handedly won that game. Yeah. And that's what I was going to get to is that Marquette game. Samuel had Samuels had shown the, once he got his leg under him, because as a freshman, he quite literally could not run. He was, it was moving too fast for him. That mark, that game told me he has it. I think what we're doing here is we're mischaracterizing Slater. We Mm. want him to be an X factor. He's the Mm. glue guy. Mm. That's who, that's who he is. Mm. The X factors on this team need to be Longino. It Mm. needs to be some of the freshmen. Slater, I feel like we know who he is. We want him to take more of a leap forward. I don't know if he's going to do that. I think he's fucking phenomenal. I, I feel very confident with him on the floor. I don't know if he's going to be the X factor that we think. I think he is the glue that holds the I team like together. I like this. I like this. And that's the difference between Samuel. Samuel was an X yes. factor as as a youngin, and then even his whole career, like he was the whole. No, the, the, totally. that was actually like so. Really, on the podcast, like yeah. we, the, the criticism for Samuels was that he was an X factor his whole career. What he should have become the known factor. Like exactly. He, yeah. he was an eleven point guy. He was an eleven and six and a half guy last year. When like in the NCAA tournament, he was he fucking. Became- he was yeah. incredible, right? Yeah. Like he he kind of was the reason that we made the final four run. Like, Completely. Like, but like, but like we were expecting him to be that way the whole season. And yeah. like, and he just didn't do that. Now part of it was injury, part of it was he was banged up, but like, but like he never did that. So he was an 11 yeah. and six and a half guy for the majority of last year. Right now, in this early season, uh Slater is like 13 and change and six, right? So like. So like contributions a little bit higher, you expect that to come down when Whitmore and, and Moore come back. But like, like that is like, I, I think, I think Willie's take is the right one. I think Willie, that take yeah. is, is actually the best take on this entire episode. We are mischaracterizing Brandon Slater. He is yeah. a blue guy. What you see right now is what you're going to get. So continue to expect that type of player. Like yeah. that's just who he is. I, I love that. I think that's perfect. I'm totally on board with that. I, yeah, I, I just think that I think that's what it is. Um, I love Jermaine. Um, I wish him the best in Fort Wayne. I think Oof. he's doing all right. Rough. Yeah, Fort, Fort Wayne. Yeah, Fort, yeah, Fort Wayne's rough, but 
probably, probably, probably got bed bugs for a long for a long time listeners we always joke that the g league folks got uh got bed bugs yeah they have to stay in bed bug hotels. hotels yeah um look not much i i'm i'm staying with the optimistic view on on slater um i do think he had something he showed something to build on um in, in this last game obviously that could be fool's gold I think that he did. I, I think the, the the biggest thing that changed for me with Slater is that it it was proof in the pudding that he needed to be more aggressive, and he did it versus a good athletic team, um, as opposed to just running roughshod over like LaSalle, right? Like so. So this is this is the Slater that we need him to be. We need him to be this type of thing, and I'm hoping that the fact that we need that means that he will do that. So, so I agree, Rob, wholeheartedly. He hasn't shown the personality to do that. He's, he's an energetic personality. He's always been kind of like the, 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 the fun culture guy who brings a level of lightheartedness to the, to the group and, and, and does all of that, but he hasn't been a killer. He's not a killer. Doesn't seem to be a killer. He's killer in moments, right? Like everything with everything with Slater is like everything that he's done has been like a highlight reel thing like the, the dunk versus providence the block versus yukon like he gets the shack fit man. St. John's. yeah he yeah correct he cleans up the shack fit man place of the of of the week awards like with with some frequency but he needs to be more than just like the one highlight play a game type of situation he needs to be the guy who is striking fear into the hearts of the opposing defense and i'm not confident that he will yeah. I, I i agree with the lack of confidence there yeah. And I don't think I don't want to take people to think like, oh, uh, glue guy means something bad. Like I have nothing. There's nothing wow. negative about yeah. that. I really liked his Michigan State game, and if that's the Slater we get go, from going going forward, that's going to help us really long term. But I think once again, just we're glue guy, not X factor. So is that is that actually a good transition into our our awards? We mentioned the check fit. I know we've we've danced around Dixon, which I think. In my mind, he has to be has to be the alpha dog. He's the alpha dog, like without a doubt. He's gonna and and right now he looks like he's gonna clean up the alpha dog awards this year. Yeah, I mean, again, his stat line: twenty four and nine, one with a few assists and one foul against Michigan State. Just three of seven from three, including the the last heave. Like that is a that's a phenomenal stat line. And and Chris, I think you you alluded to this pre show. Like if he's taking five or six threes a game, that's awesome in my mind. Like assuming they're they're good shots, but like. That's the type of player you want him to be. So, so Slim Dix is just uh, whew, he's taken over so far. I, I'm liking what I'm seeing, living up to the billing. Completely, completely agree. Um, Shaq fit man play of the week. I, I, it's not like a great candidate, but I will say that the Daniels, um, steal on that inbounds play and then the Longino it's go, it's not necessarily one singular player, but Longino burying that three, um, that really made that game like a, Oh fuck moment and kind of had Michigan state's crowd, like kind of nervous. Yeah. Uh, that, that to me, that sequence, it's kind of a, Shaq fit sequence of the game but like yeah. that was kind of the 
Yeah, I love that. So that 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 was exactly what you needed in that moment. I, I guess if I had to go between the two, I, I probably picked Caleb for making the, the defensive play that led to the offensive three ball. But that's that that's that's the best I got. I'll give a small shout out to Chris Arch on blowing by Tyson Walker, getting to the basket, and then passing out to Dixon who hit a three. I think we were down 70 to 63 at that point, and then Dixon hit the three made it 70 66. So that was not necessarily a man play, but just like a play that that was the moment where I was like, all right, if this is Chris Arch, I can take it. Yeah, um, yeah. So I want to give him a shout out there. I don't know if I have one, to be honest. Nothing stood out to me. There wasn't, wasn't like, there wasn't like an outstanding, honestly, the best, yeah. the best play was Michigan State's dunk on Slater. Um, on oh, yeah. was, oh, that was the Shackford man play of the week. That was the Shackford man play. That was the Oh, one. my God. As, as the play was developing, I was looking at it and I was like, all right, well, if there's one guy who I want in this situation, Slater's the one guy who can get up and and and, and ruin this play. <laughs> there was a part of me, too, that was like, Slater, just duck and cover, man. Yeah. You don't need to go on that poster. <laughs> oh, the one, the, I thought he was going to get, I thought he was going to get it at least, but whatever. The one play that would have been, would have gotten the award for me, and we, we don't give would have, should have, could have, but Dixon's block from the back on, um, on Sissoko. Wasn't a foul. He, it, yeah, I mean, they, they called it a foul. What I love, though, it was it was one. He got a ton of ball, obviously, to start, but it was a it was a physical block too. And even after he picked up the foul call, he walked back and flexed, and that was a fuck you. Like I'm <laughs> I'm taking this game seriously. Like you're gonna have to go through me. And I was like, that's the attitude. Even after a foul call, it's like I, I'm just I'm here for it. That would have been that would have been easily the, the play for me. If yeah, that it's his team. I yeah. said it before. It's his team. This team needs to play angry ball, man. Right now, really they do. need to play aggressive, angry basketball because, like, when Moore gets back and whatever, they can play that controlled thing. I guess that's the last thing to talk about. Like, I don't have a, I don't even have like a, I don't have a, I don't have a um, pass the fucking ball award of of the week right now. I, I don't. Um, I, I don't think there was any player who was so bad. Um, My one play was when our treachery blew by somebody and then had a clean look at the hoop and then chose not to sh- to lay it up and i i screamed at the tv on that one yeah <laughs> fair enough um but my uh but the the final narrative is when is this team going to get healthy right like we talk about like oh when is it when are they getting healthy when is it healthy when are they getting healthy there's been now a couple instances where whitmore's been actually suited up in practice gear and practicing and shooting with the team and whatever and then comes out in dress clothes for the for the for the game itself i like i don't know where the conversation is around like any level of expectation is he coming back for the iowa state game like if he's practicing like he's got to be pretty close to playing yeah. So, so like, or, or like maybe not playing mi- meaningful minutes, but like dressing for the game. Yeah. So like, like, where are we on the Whitmore situation? If he's like, dressing, he's playing. Right, I think right. if he's dressing, he's dressing, he's, he's playing. Um, shout out to Villanova for being the, nothing gets out of that program. Nothing gets out of like, the secrets galore. I couldn't tell you anything, but. Villanova leaks less than the White House. Yeah, quite literally. Oh, yes. hard. So I say all that to say, I I mean, that's our narrative. And the thing is, we keep saying when we get healthy, when we get healthy, we could get healthy too late. But totally. it, we could totally. get healthy too late, which is something to track. I think Whitmore's, if I'm, if I'm betting, I think Whitmore's going to play in the PK-85. I think Ooh. that's where it's going to happen. 
Yeah. Just judging, like, I know he's practicing. I know he's, like, I've heard he's dunking in practice. He's still sitting. We're not, I feel like we're not going to know he's playing until he's dressed. And then all of a sudden at like 13 minute mark, he's checking in and it's like, okay, I guess this is happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a hot take. I don't expect Whitmore to be a early on this early on. I don't expect Whitmore to like change the whole complexion of this team. Like, I don't think it's that hot of a take. This is, this is not going to be like, like when I say get healthy, just to be completely candid, I mean, when we have 70% of Justin Moore on the court, that's, that's, that's what I mean when I say, when we get healthy, like Whitmore will be nice because it'll give us another front court player. It'll give us front court depth with which we need. And we can't get Njoku on the court and Patterson still looks a little bit lost out there at times. Like, like, like straight up, we like, it'll be helpful from that perspective. It'll get another guy who will, who, who the defense will have to key on, which will help Slater. It'll help, it'll help, uh, it'll help Caleb. But, but candidly, like, I, I don't mean we're healthy until I get 70% of Justin Moore back. And I agree that it might happen too late. Yeah. Anyway. All right. To wrap it up. Yeah. I think we're, uh, I think we're all set here. So we will be back with you sometime shortly after the PK 85 tournament. We will all be taking a break for the holiday. Uh, if I get the opportunity, you might find me on a Twitter space if Twitter still exists, um, you know, past Thanksgiving. But I might be able to do a space, definitely not on Thanksgiving itself, but maybe on that Friday, maybe on that Sunday. So so stay on the lookout on Twitter uh, for us. You can follow us at the full 40 Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok, um, and and we're starting to set up other profiles elsewhere. Although this Mastodon thing, I don't, I don't like it. Um, it's it kind of is a shitty service. So I'm not a fan. But neither here nor there. And you can find us on, as always, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and YouTube, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. So thank you everybody for listening. And as always, let's go, Nova.